With uh, Coach uh, Dana Dimmel and John, followed by Game 7, Oklahoma City and Houston. And, man, if that game is anything like last night's Denver-Utah Classic, uh, we should be in for another treat tonight. That's for sure, Adrian. Oh, yeah, Steve. That's going to be an awesome game. A lot riding on the Rockets, and they've got all the pressure on them. They need to win tonight. OKC has nothing to lose in Game 7. Were you as nervous as Colin Deaver was at the end of that game last night? Oh, it was so much fun. I mean, Denver closing it out. I, I, I was a little nervous for the Nuggets, but, man, they closed it out in a great way. It was unreal. So if you're loving basketball, that was a, a big one for you. I feel bad for Jeffy because he grew up a Utah Jazz fan. Probably isn't now, but at least when he was younger, I can understand why. The mailman, Carl Malone, John Stockton, so many great uh, uh, players in the 80s and 90s as they built that team into a Western Conference power. But we're not here to reminisce about the Utah days uh, of old with Jay. We're here to talk a little baseball and beer, and he'll deliver that with us in our weekly conversation. Uh, good to have you back, Jay. How you holding up? Oh, I'm doing okay here, um, uh, recovering from the uh, the trade deadline and all that. But uh, uh, and looking forward to uh, a little a little bit of uh, vacation here uh, early next week. So just kind of count counting down the days here a bit. I thought the uh, deadline was actually better than I expected. I thought it was going to be a dud. Didn't think uh, much uh, would happen. But, man, the San Diego Padres, uh, they were one of the big winners and uh, really uh, trading a lot of their surplus in minor league prospects and talent to go out and, and try to uh, fill in the uh, the holes they had heading into now in the playoffs. Yeah, it was a weird deadline. I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think we saw only you know we saw one top 100 prospect moved uh, Taylor Trammell. We saw maybe uh, one or two difference makers moved. Uh, obviously, the Padres were the were the big story at the deadline, getting Mike Clevenger uh, and making what like seven different deals. Um, a, a lot of action there, working from a very deep farm system and and really doing a lot to fortify that bullpen. Uh, as well as well as uh, adding a, a top of the rotation pitcher, and uh, um, I think they set a record for catchers traded at the deadline, uh, either either coming and going. Um, I like what they did. They 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 did. Um, you know, they were already pretty much assured of a playoff spot, uh, but they they enhanced their chances. I think to go deeper into in, into the, into the postseason. Um, you know, the other teams really only, only a couple of other teams. I think that 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 did. Uh, uh, a lot to really improve themselves. The Marlins being one of them, say was uh, uh, I think the best position player moved uh, at, the, at the deadline, and, and uh, uh, it was it was interesting to see them uh, push to go for it, uh, given uh, where you know where they've been recently and where they've been earlier this year with, with that first outbreak. Um, uh, and then the Blue Jays getting very aggressive, uh, uh, adding multiple pitchers uh, in uh, Robbie Ray and uh, uh, Ross Stripling, and I'm already forgetting the third one. Um, uh, and also uh, uh, Jonathan Vr from 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 the Marlins here. Uh, so you know, a good aggressive approach that I think uh, uh, really moves them. I think from being kind of a coin toss to being a a, a pretty strong contender. I didn't expect the Blue Jays to be so aggressive. Did you? Yeah, that was I think that, that was I think what the, maybe the biggest surprise. We didn't think the Padres were going to be that aggressive. Um, we thought, yeah, you know, there's some of these teams that are that are on the margins that that could be in or out. Uh, but the Blue Jays really, I think, you know, showed some conviction in, in in going in, and I think that was really lacking in a lot of places. I understand, you know, teams that are long shots fading, uh, like the Diamondbacks, deciding, you know what, this isn't our year. We need to we need to move these guys, these these pending free agents, and things like that. Um, 
but I don't understand. I don't understand why, um, you know, why 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 some teams, you know, why, like why the Yankees didn't trade for Lance Lynn, or you know, I, I heard from, uh, you know, from one talent evaluator that there was there weren't good offers, weren't really even firm offers out there on 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 guys like Lynn. Uh, there were a disappointing number of teams uh, that were. Uh, re- that really seem to be going for, it. and I, I suspect money has a lot to do with that. Uh, um, you know, with with uh, uh, limited revenue, no gate revenue. Um, you know, man, uh, ownership is probably being pretty reluctant to uh, uh, to let teams uh, add substantial salary. But uh, uh, really, did seem like a lot of a lot of teams were just uh, kind of going through the motions here, making sure they didn't uh, uh, miss out on a bargain. What do you think of the rare um, interdivisional move and the uh, A's acquiring Mike Miner buying low from the Texas Rangers? Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, yes, interesting interdiv- interdivisional uh, move. Uh, we know uh, they, they did a deal inv- involving Jerks and Profar a couple of years ago. Um, that's, I think, the only other one they've done in, in the past uh, six years. Miner, um, boy, you know, talk about a missed opportunity for the Rangers. Um, last year they were about 500 when they were coming into the deadline, and uh, uh, Miner was an all-star, uh, and they, you know, and, and they had him under control for one more year at like uh, uh, nine and a half million uh, before proration, and uh, really could, I think, should have been able to get uh, a significant haul for him, uh, and uh, instead they waited. He's been knocked around. His velocity's down. Uh, some bad luck, uh, despite moving into a more pitcher-friendly ballpark. Um, but you know, I think the A's have a good reputation for for identifying pitchers that, that will work well with, within their system. Uh, CM is definitely a pitcher-friendly park. Um, you know, I think this is a deal that will uh, uh, that that will help them. I bet on uh, at least some kind of rebound for them. And uh, I like the fact that the A's, uh, you know, showed some aggressiveness there. They're uh, uh, they're in the driver's seat in the West right now, particularly when you look at how banged up the Astros are. Absolutely. I think Robbie Ray might have been that other pitcher for Toronto that uh, you no, were talking No, I mentioned about. Ray. There's, mentioned. One more, there's one more I'm forgetting here. It was Ray and Stripling and, hang on, if I can pull up the roster resource page on Fangraphs, I will jog my memory here. Uh, oh, uh, Taiwan Walker. Oh, there you go. Who actually pitched well in his first start with uh, with Toronto. And he pitched. He had pitched well in Seattle too. I saw. I saw uh, uh, one of one of his starts. I think it was uh, uh, against the Dodgers. Yeah, he's seven seven, and then uh, uh, six innings uh, of shot ball uh, against Baltimore in his debut. He's come back from injury nicely. Uh, that's uh, four strong starts out of six for him, and uh, uh, it's good to see him back. That guy's had so many health problems, so many starts and stops to his career. Um, this, uh, the Mariners did him a solid by giving him a platform to. Uh, to to show himself to a contender there, and uh, uh, for their trouble, they got uh, a little bit a little bit of help. Who do you think uh, you could regret not being aggressive and making a move at the deadline? I think the team. Um, you know, I think that outfield is is so banged up that uh, you probably need a little bit more insurance. Uh, I think that rotation wise, they need some insurance. They're really betting heavily on their internal solutions, like Davey Garcia, who, to be fair, looks great um, in his uh, major league debut. Last week, um, let's see who else. Who else am I, am I surprised at? Um, the uh, I, I'm surprised that there were there, you know there were a lot of teams in the mid range that uh, that I thought could have been more aggressive. Um, sorry, uh, you know I'm surprised the White 
more, for example. I mean, they did add Jared Dyson early, uh, earlier in the week, um, but I thought they would do something. I thought the Brewers, pretty aggressive at the deadline, would do something, but they they must feel that their their hopes are fading. Uh, the Astros didn't do anything to shore themselves up. Uh, I would have expected that. Um, I don't know. It's, it was a, a very mixed bag. It really was. So I'm with you on that, but now I'm also kind of interested to see, since the deadline's over, how the rest of this season is going to shape up, which we're going to talk about more in a moment with Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at J underscore Jaffe. But before we do anything, let's get right back to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Good job, Adrian. Back with Jay as we continue here on Sports Talk. All right. I know you are sometimes a contributor on ESPN.com. Uh, I saw this earlier today. Which player would you rather have for the next decade, Mike Trout or Fernando Tatis Jr.? Sorry, what was the, what was the timeline? Decade. Next, next decade. Whew. Uh, you know, I, I like considering that Trout is, is what uh, twenty eight years old. Uh, then I I would be inclined to say Tatis. Um, uh, but that has a lot to do with with the with the players' ages. If you're talking maybe next three or four years, I would I would say Trout uh, because he's such a sure thing. Um, but uh, the longer the timeline, I think the more it favors Tatis, uh, even if he does have to move off of shortstop because that bat will carry uh, just about anywhere right now. No doubt. Uh, I mean, I don't know where he would move off a of short because you've already got Machado locked in playing third. So you kind of think to yourself, where else could you put the guy? Well, you could you could consider the outfield. Um, that athleticism, uh, though, will will play anywhere on the diamond. I think it's also, you know, it's 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 possible that uh, um, you know that much, if 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 Machado slows down, he could be he could be uh, the one the one who moves uh, somewhere. Although you know, you think back to just what an incredible glove he was. Um, Tatis is still a little rough with the glove at shortstop, so I think uh, it's not a given that he is going to stay there uh, forever. But he has uh, he has shored up his biggest problem, which is his throwing. Uh, we've seen better better uh, footwork from him this year. We really have. And by the way, um, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I know the uh, talk about what went down um, last night in New York between the Yankees and the Rays, uh, suspensions for both uh, Aaron Boone and Araldis Chapman after uh, the um, incident in which uh, he threw a 101-mile-an-hour fastball near the head of a pinch hitter, Michael Brousseau, while closing out his first save of the season. Uh, things got ugly. And, I mean, you look at what the Rays have done to the Yankees so far this season, seven out of nine. And um, you can understand why maybe, um, you know, there are words. There's a lot of tensions between these two teams since the Rays have owned the Yankees. There's a lot of tension between these two teams, but I, 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 I was just not, you know, and it was a scary pitch. And I don't want to minimize that. And I can understand anybody being angry about it. The game situation, to me, I don't, I don't think it stood to reason that that that, that, that was intentional. I mean, uh, Chapman, you know, has not pitched much this year. He's had injury problems. I don't know that his control is where he wants it to be. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't see, think that there would have been any advantage. I mean, you know, it would have put the Yankees at a disadvantage if they'd put Brousseau on. If he'd actually hit him, and obviously it would have been scary as hell if. Uh, uh, if he'd actually, if, if he actually had hit him uh, uh, at, you know, in the head or something like that. I mean, we're, you know, we're a hundred years removed from from Ray Chapman, uh, but uh, it, it's just scary to think about what a hundred miles an hour can do or, uh, or whatever. I thought the managers, I thought Kevin Cash uh, overreacted, um, 
you know, I thought his statements were were uh, uh, you know only further fanned the flames. But these these, these two teams, they 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 bark at each other a lot. Uh, I think back to CC Sabathia. Uh, and the Rays uh, didn't get along too well back in the last uh, few years, and uh, they've had some other uh, words on the field uh, regarding the players. It's a good old-fashioned rivalry right now, and you know, at a time when the Red Sox are, are uh, uh, non-competitive, um, this is the AL East rivalry. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, over the last week or so, Jay, you've written about uh, replacement-level killers, and uh, you can check that out on the archives uh, up at uh, Fangraphs.com. When you search Jay's name, it goes through the position-by-position list. Was there one particular um, you know, player or players that uh, really stood out for you when you started looking at, at each of these, uh, these replacement-level killers? You know, I, I, I mean, I was surprised to see some names on there, some, some – uh, uh, some really good players on there, like uh, uh, Chris Bryant of the Cubs. He's had some injury problems. Um, you know, and I, I, was, I was laughing at the the uh, Indians having all three outfield spots landing on there. Uh, the Nationals, mm-hmm. just so full of holes. Uh, uh, they had uh, six positions make the list. Um, the Rockies had five positions make the list. But the real surprise to me, I think, was was Chris Bryant, and also, I mean, some of them, just, you know, just had to do with the production verse and and projection pre- threshold, uh, and that you know, Glaber Torres is off to a bad start, and the Yan- it was so banged up uh, that the Yankees, he was one of the two shortstops, or the Yankees were one of the two shortstop positions, and that's a, that's an excellent player, but uh, uh, just somebody who's got to dig out of a hole uh, after a slow start this year. I know he wasn't listed in your replacement level catchers, but do you think uh, Gary Sanchez is ever going to be able to climb out of it? You know, it's he's just he, it's it's been frustrating. I think he's had he's had so many injury problems. He's had so much criticism of his defense, and you know he's, he's worked hard to shore up his defense. I don't know that the results have been fully there, but uh, the bat has been uh, erratic to say the least. A lot, you know, the home runs are there, nothing else is, and uh, uh, it has been. Uh, uh, a week-to-week adventure. I, I still believe that, that he has uh, the tools in him to be an all-star catcher, um, but uh, uh, over stretches he can look pretty bad. Absolutely. All right. Yo us two beers this week instead of one, Jay. Before we get to those picks um, after uh, you know everything, give me uh, some of the stories you're going to be writing about on Fangraphs.com over the next day or two. Uh, let's see, I'm looking at uh, position, position players pitching uh, for tomorrow. We had three of them last night, including Drew Butera um, preventing the Giants from scoring in every inning, uh, something that very rarely happens. Um, uh, I think sometime in the next week or so, uh, so I'm probably going to look at what's going on with Garrett Cole. Um, who else do I have on my list here? Uh, might write about Dansby Swanson. Uh, might write about uh, the Blue Jays, Teoscar Hernandez, player who's a young player who's taken a big step forward. Uh, might write about Manny Machado. He's another one who's on who's on my list, uh, uh, just of guys to to sort of look into what they're doing differently this year, uh, or how they're doing it differently this year. Excellent. Let's wash it down with a nice cold one. Uh, which beers would you like to profile for our listeners this week, Jay? Okay. Well, the first one uh, that I definitely want to talk about is. Zombie Dust uh, from from Three Floyds Brewing, uh, which is I believe in Illinois, uh, no Indiana, sorry, uh, Munster, Indiana. Uh, this is one of those great beers that you hear about in the Midwest, and you can't always get your hands on. But uh, um, you know, thanks thanks to uh, the bigger stores like Whole Foods, now it's easier to come by. I actually happened to um, 
pop into a Whole Foods and and they had it on sale and and like two weeks can two weeks ago and man this is this is just an outstanding beer um, one of the best uh, uh, IPA uh, uh, pale ales uh, uh, you can get anywhere um, intensely hopped uh, mainly with citra and uh, you get uh, some orange and pineapple notes a bit of pine. Um, I need to go back to that store and get some more. I was just so, you know, I, I'd had it before, but not for a couple of years, and I understand why people hold this beer in such high esteem. Uh, so, so Three Floyd, Zombie Dust, uh, by the way, 6.2 APV and uh, only 50 IBUs. Sounds like a really nice pale ale to enjoy. It's a hell of a beer, Steve. It's, it's, it, it is a, I would put it in any top ten list uh, uh, for all-around beers. It's, it's just that good. Awesome. All right. What would you like to? Uh, what would you like to uh, finish okay, it with? Okay. The other one here um, that I've got. This was the one I had. This was one I had for the first time the other day. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, a local brewery called Radiant Pig. Uh, I believe they are. They are out of. Uh, they said New York City, but I think. I think they're a little bit. Uh, um, uh, in, uh, have more of a cat skills presence. But anyway, I like a lot of their beers. We drink uh, uh, their Save the Robots and TV Party beers a lot. Um, but uh, this is their IPA called It Ain't Easy, uh, just a, a really nice uh, New England IPA. Uh, Citra, Mosaic, El Dorado hops, um, uh, got a lot of uh, lemony, a little boozy, a little dank, uh, just a, a nice double IPA. Um, you know, obviously with a double IPA, you're not going to be drinking too many of those, uh, uh, probably not, not more than one in a sitting because uh, it comes in at 8%, but that was a really nice beer. I like the astronaut on the uh, can of it ain't easy. That's a that's a cool that's a cool looking design on that beer. Yeah, they do they do nice artwork and uh, uh, they're definitely one of my local favorites. Are they available in stores in the New York area, or yeah. do you just have to you have to hunt for them? The grocery stores. All right, very nice. Good job, Jay. Great to have you back, and we'll look forward to doing it again with you next week. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Steve. Jay, you got it. Jay Jaffe, folks, follow him on Twitter at J underscore Jaffe as uh, Sports Talk continues. Meanwhile, we'll come back with more right after Adrian Ochoa and ABC 7 News. It's next here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Start of hour number two on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Steve Kaplowitz with you and so excited about having ESPN's injury analyst, uh, Stefania Bell, with us on the show to get you ready for fantasy football season 2020. That's right. You can play ESPN Fantasy Football because it's more fun with family and friends. Such a great way to stay in touch with friends and family. Sign up for free, ESPN.com slash Fantasy Football, or download the ESPN Fantasy app. Stefania, it's good to have you back here on the show in El Paso. And I'm wondering, since we're now less than, what, like 10 days out, I think a week from tomorrow is the start of the season, which is hard to believe. Um, the big story, the least, that was making waves uh, in sports today was the comments made from Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins. And he said the, the words, if I die, I die, talking about the virus and, and his thoughts and, and how he plans on handling it. Um, was that something that surprised you that you know a, a prominent NFL player was as outspoken as Kirk Cousins was uh, on the uh, pandemic? I was surprised because yesterday, just yesterday, I was on a call with the league office and we were getting an update. Um, several reporters were getting an update from the league on 
testing numbers, uh, how the protocols are going, and the progress they've made. And really, you know, the message from the league is that the numbers have obviously been very, very low. They've had very few positive tests since the start of training camp. And they said this is really due to everybody um, being vigilant and adhering to the protocols and all the procedures that are in place. But they emphasize over and over again that in order for things to continue forward, everyone has to really remain vigilant and that they will continue to evolve the protocols based on uh, science and, and information that comes forward over the next weeks and months. And you really got the impression that everyone was completely on board. And I will, I will say this, I just want to point out my, my colleague, Courtney Cronin, who covers the Vikings for us, um, just posted on social media this afternoon that Kirk Cousins on a Zoom call wanted to clarify his comments and said he wasn't as clear as he would have liked to have been initially and that now, even though he says the virus hasn't given him a great amount of personal fear, there's still great reason for him to wear a mask, practice social distancing, wash his hands, and plenty of reason to be vigilant. Those words are interesting to me because that is exactly what the league and the NFLPA have been saying, which is that everyone has to remain vigilant. So um, I, I get the feeling that, that this probably caused a bit of a stir, um, not only amongst the, the public, just because it was the first time we'd heard someone speak out like this, but I, I imagine the league and the Players Association uh, might, might have had something to say about this because, you know, you can't, you can't combat a virus like this coronavirus to the point where there is zero risk. But if we want to have a football season, you have to mitigate that risk the best that you possibly can, and that requires everyone to be committed to what it's going to take to try and, and keep the pandemic at bay from the football realm, if you will. You know, Stefania, I look at all the way the different sports has handled this. You know, you've got bubbles for the NBA, the NHL, and, and MLS. Major League Baseball has a season that's not uh, a bubble, but now they're talking about a postseason bubble, just like the NFL is. And we've always wondered, since college has been dealing with certain power fives not playing, and you've seen the backlash, others deciding to play, you know, how football would handle this. Because unlike all the other sports we talked about, even though the NBA plays physical man-to-man. Football, you're dealing with so many players. It's so much contact. There's so much sweat and everything else that's going around. We just figured there's just no way they're going to be able to make it through a season. And now here we are, and in eight days, the NFL is kicking off. It's amazing. I think um, I I kept hearing a couple of months ago that they intended to play. And of course, Everything is dependent on the context of the world around us, and they're, they're mindful of that. And I think that is what's going to make the next step, which is actual competition that involves travel to different cities. I mean, you're adding another layer of complexity to these protocols, and uh, although they're very buttoned up and they've tried to think of every possible scenario, you are introducing more chance for exposure I think that, uh, you know, they knew a bubble was not really going to be possible to start the season given just the sheer numbers of folks who are involved. 
Um, and as we've seen, this virus has affected different parts of the country at different points in time. So places that were hot spots when they first started talking about planning for the fall uh, may not be now, and other places have cropped up as hot spots. What's amazing is that even in the cities where, where those hot spots are occurring, the players and the personnel at the clubs have really kept the virus at bay. And so uh, what they've done is so far has been very impressive, but they are quick to acknowledge that while they're pleased with the results so far, uh, that doesn't guarantee anything going forward. And it's important for everyone to be mindful of that. Especially when you've seen situations that's gone on in baseball involving the Marlins. We also saw the Phillies um, and, and how it's affected the entire teams. I mean, games have been postponed, doubleheaders like crazy. And obviously in the NFL, you, you can't afford that because they don't have the kind of luxury like baseball has to keep playing makeup games. Exactly. And I think, you know, they've, you know, that they're talking about these scenarios in the background, even though they haven't wanted to put anything definitive forward. Like, at what point uh, does a game get called if there were to be an outbreak? And I think uh, they've maintained that this is one of those things that you're going to know when you see it. And they did have a bit of a scare. You may recall, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, there was a spike in positive tests. And the NFL was alerted to it right away because they track all the numbers. And the numbers had been so low that when there was suddenly uh, a a period of a couple of days where they had, I believe, 77 positive tests, it set off some alarm bells. And it turned out to be uh, that there was a contamination um, at one of the lab processing facilities uh, right at the point where they handle the samples and pre-analysis of those samples. The good news is that what that meant is that those were false positives due to a contaminated sample and that there really were not um, any increased numbers. It also gave the clubs a chance to go through the exercise of what would happen if they had a spike in players who tested positive, where they would have to isolate them immediately, initiate contact tracing, etc. And the reason that matters is because the clubs know that there's a good chance that somebody, whether it be player or staff, will test positive as the season goes on. But what's important is to then be able to isolate that individual and mitigate the spread. The main thing that they want is if somebody does test positive, obviously to care for that person, but also to prevent it from becoming uh, spread across the position group, uh, throughout the team, the locker room, to other staff, coaches, etc., The biggest thing with this virus is how contagious it is and how easy it is to transmit it uh, from one person to the next. So that's really been one of the main uh, focus points in setting up these protocols is how to identify somebody who may be symptomatic or somebody who tests positive and then what to do immediately to prevent that from becoming a major outbreak within the club. Stefania Bell with us here on Sports Talk. Follow her on Twitter at Stefania underscore ESPN. Check out her work at uh, ESPN Television and ESPN.com as we continue our conversation. Has the NFL already laid out guidelines, uh, Stefania, as to how um, many positive tests they would need on a team to possibly look at postponing a game? 
They haven't uh, shared a definitive number. You know, if that if there is a number that they've talked about that has not been uh, shared with reporters, it's not been made public. And I think that, um, again, it's one of those things where they feel like... It, it, Adam Silver, I believe, said this with regards to the NBA, kind of like, you, you'll know it when you see it, which I know people want, like, what's the cutoff? But I think... I think when these leagues are looking at the protocols, and I've talked to folks in all the different professional leagues, really what they're concerned about is an outbreak. And that's what you saw in baseball. We had a club outbreak, and they knew they had to put a pause for that team. started with the Marlins. You mentioned the Phillies, the Cardinals. They've had a few teams, and then they had to immediately shut things down for that team with the goal of keeping it from spreading one team to the next to the next. And I believe that with the NFL, that's a bit of how they'd be operating. You know, if they saw a problem with a whole position group or two position groups, suddenly that team is not going to be allowed to interact with another team. They're just not going to let that happen. So uh, I think what's interesting is they had daily testing agreed upon until they got to September 5th with a negotiation for how frequent the testing would be um, still to come. So we may see them continue daily testing. That's not yet clear. Um, but I think, again, their big focus is let's keep this from becoming an outbreak, and then hopefully we won't have to make that call. How do you think injuries are going to go? Because there's no exhibition games this year, and teams have pretty much been confined to practicing, and, and that's the way it's going to be until the games start. Do you expect to see more injuries this year, which obviously will take its toll on fantasy football owners? I do. Uh, If you look at the trends over the last few years, and the NFL tracks injury data very closely, and they also break it down into preseason versus regular season, what you see is that there does tend to be an increase in soft tissue injuries um, in about halfway through the preseason component. And then you also see those numbers stay elevated a little bit in the early part of the season, but not as much as that preseason spike. A preseason spike usually happens around the second week or so. And if you think about it, that's when, you know, between training camps and the start of games is when we see a lot of these soft tissue injuries. And if you look at what happened this year, uh, and again, we don't have the official data yet, and and the sample size will be very small. In fact, this year is going to be tricky because it will be a skewed year in terms of uh, comparing it to other seasons. However, just anecdotally, the teams all had this increased uh, time for strength and conditioning when players first reported, and then came the padded practices. And what you saw as soon as the padded practices were introduced, we started seeing some more of these soft tissue injuries, which is pretty consistent uh, with how it's been in the past. But you make a great point. When you don't have preseason games, on the one hand, that's a positive, right, because it's not you're not getting – Uh, the collision that you really would in a game action. You're also not getting the exposure referencing the COVID-19 possibilities, uh, which is part of why they did not have preseason games. But players aren't getting that opportunity to get acclimated to game speed. And if you think about rookies who never had a chance to play in an NFL game and preseason can be very helpful to them, uh, this is going to be a rude awakening when they have four quarters all of a sudden thrust out them week one and two. So with the intensity going up and the volume of work going up in the first few weeks, it would not surprise me at all if we saw a rise in soft tissue injuries this year 
during the first few weeks of the season. You want a great way to stay in touch with family and friends? How about fantasy football and ESPN.com? They've got rankings, advice from all the experts, including Stefania, making the game easy for not only the experts, but beginners as well. From the drafts all the way to the playoffs, sign up for free. ESPN.com forward slash fantasy football. You can download the ESPN fantasy app and follow Stefania Bell on Twitter at Stefania underscore ESPN. Always great to catch up with you. Uh, look forward to the next time we get to chat, Stefania. Thank you, and good luck this season. Let's hope we get a full season. There you go. Uh, let's hope so. Let's hope we get a full season. I agree with you there. Charlie One is back. He's got a traffic update as Sports Talk continues. Charlie, uh, how are we looking? And Brad Miller continues to be on fire for the St. Louis Cardinals, hitting another dinger out today. What a week he's having right now with St. Louis as uh, they are tied 1-1 in the second with the Cincinnati Reds. Jeff, good to have you back. I'll tell you, uh, fantasy football season starts up uh, a week from tomorrow. We've got fantasy baseball going on right now, the trade deadline coming and going. What was your uh, deadline reaction? Oh, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I thought there'd be it'd be completely dead, and then we had the Clevenger deal. We had the Marlins and the Diamondbacks controlling the the trade deadline uh, headlines. Wild, you know, Blue Jays being very active is kind of wild stuff. I mean, the Clevenger deal was kind of crazy, and then, of course the Padres made like six trades. Uh, you know, kudos to AJ Preller, kudos to their ownership saying, okay, we we built up this farm system, we've saved money over the years, but when we have a contender, you can go for it. Well, they went for it. Uh, you know, I like seeing that. That's that's good for baseball. It is good for baseball, and it's great for Padre fans. Uh, that's for sure. Um, do you like Clevenger with San Diego? Yeah, of course. Uh, it, you know, I know it's maybe not the same ballpark as it's been in previous years. They, that right field adjustment was uh, kind of uh, increased power for lefties. It's been hotter, so the ball flies a little bit better. And, of course, they're a better team. Uh, they've got better hitters in the lineup. They, they've even changed their approach in some cases. Uh, all these things kind of contribute to that, but it's still a good place to pitch. And, of course, You've got a good team behind you, so that that's really good. Now, I know the Indians are really good at uh, developing pitchers, but I think he'll do just fine there. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think uh, when it's all said and done, they'll be okay. But I also, I think that uh, you know Cleveland gets some interesting players in that trade. And, man, Seattle did very well with the Padres in the Austin Nola trade. Yeah, uh, I thought that, in a way... Seattle's package was might have been as good as as good as uh, Cleveland's package, and obviously for not the same player. I mean, Austin Nola's having a great year, but he's a thirty year old breakout. Those those don't tend to last that long. Um, they kind of, you know it might last the rest of this year, maybe next year, but you know giving you know giving up on hedges, kind of saying okay, we're not going to get anything from Mejia this year by trading for Castro and Nola. I, uh, that's pretty telling. It really is. Uh, but um, if you're the Padres and you have not had catching uh, help in terms of offensive production this year, now right. at least you've got one of the best offensive catchers in the game. Yeah, and it's just a clear sign that, I mean, the thing is, they, they were going to definitely make the playoffs. They're probably going to be the four seed, assuming that I, I think the way it works is the all the division champs are the top three seeds. We know the Dodgers are going to be one, uh, but they've got a real chance. Now, and they want to try to be able to match up. Now, the, the, their problem is they'd likely meet up with the Dodgers in the second round of the playoffs, and that's suboptimal. You want to avoid that matchup with the Dodgers as long as possible. But still, um, they got a chance. They're going to go for it. And, you know, this, will, this isn't like a one-shot deal for them either. They're going to be good for a long time. And they didn't even give up their best prospects. 
That's very true. They kept him. Uh, meanwhile, who are you disappointed in? Uh, the Atlanta Braves. The, I, I think that they had prospects to deal. I think they have a clear opportunity. They're, they're winning the NL East despite having two, pit, two starting pitchers of note. They, they, they trade for Tommy Malone, who predictably had a terrible start against the, the Phillies, staked to a 10-0 lead on Sunday and couldn't even get out of the fourth inning. Uh, just, in fact, if I call correctly, he couldn't get out of the third inning. It was, it was a disaster start. Uh, it, it, they've given up on Fultonevich. They've given up on Tukey Toussaint, essentially. Uh, you know, Kyle Wright hasn't, has been a disappointment. I know they've gotten good. You know, Ian Anderson looks great through two starts, but they need more than that, especially in the playoffs. You, know, you can get by in the regular season, but you know, in the playoffs you need those pitchers that you can rely on. Absolutely right. We're chatting right now with uh, Jeff Erickson as we continue on Sports Talk, although Ian Anderson has been so good in his first two starts as a big leaguer. Yep, yep, he has. Uh, you know, I got watched a lot of that. I was the Ian Anderson guy in, in free agent pickups this past weekend. Uh, in a lot of leagues, he was available for the first time uh, because, you know, like the, NFF, the NFBC format, you can't pick up a guy that, hasn't, that wasn't either originally drafted or uh, had, had major league experience. So, we got to see that first start against the Yankees look great. Okay, let's bid on them. Let's bid aggressively. I bid very aggressively on them. Happened to have a need for them, too, but uh, that's beside the point. Uh, but it, w- it was really nice in four leagues where I picked them up to get that win yesterday. Absolutely right. Um, I asked this question to Jay Jaffe earlier. I'll ask it to you, Jeff. If you had a player in fantasy baseball that you'd rather have for the next decade, who would you pick, Fernando Tatis Jr. or Mike Trout? Next decade? Tatis. I mean, just an age thing there uh, alone. Uh, I mean, Trout's the goat, but he'll be 38 by the end of the decade. You know, and, and a, by the end of this decade, and mm-hmm. could he be awesome all 10 years? Could be, but I, you know, we're already starting to see some sort of signs of decline with the strikeout rate and all and mobility. He's not running really this year that much. Uh, you would expect at some point he'll get moved off center field, moved to a corner. Uh, that's just the natural aging curve, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a pejorative, and he's still going to be awesome. He'll still hit for power. But give me the guy that can play shortstop, and he's 20, 22 years old. I'll take that all day. I know. Matter of fact, uh, it's kind of exciting to think about what's going to happen when Tatis hits his prime, isn't it? Yeah, although there's been some research on that from my colleague Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, he, colleague, he, he writes for Fangraphs, uh, among other places. But he, he argues that the aging curve isn't really a curve. It's almost like a slope, and it, it starts really early. That 22, 23 could be your peak. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a lot of guys that have followed that path because as you get to, you, you know, the, the, the traditional aging curve was 27, 28 your peak, but you know, guys are getting, you know, are more prepared to produce right away now. Uh, and they, they get bigger and slower a little bit quicker. So perhaps when you get to 28, 29, you're not as mobile and that hurts your defense. You know, the whole package, you know, you might be a better fantasy player, but you might not be a better player in real life. No, I understand. Again, chatting with uh, Jeff Erickson uh, from rotowire.com here on Sports Talk. Uh, I do want to mention uh, a couple of other players before we uh, get into our uh, football focus, as we we do so after SportsCenter at the bottom of the hour. Now, again, I I mentioned Brad Miller and what the kind of week he's having. He's been good, really, um, all season when they've played him, and he's kind of gone from a utility guy into a must-to-play right now in fantasy. Yeah, more Cardinals devil magic. They they found a way to make Brad Miller a cleanup hitter. I, I don't understand, but it, just go with it sometimes, right? Especially in a short sample, at least when he's playing against my Reds. Uh, he homered again today after homering yesterday. Uh, 
been a tough week as a Reds fan, but uh, yeah, uh, this he you know he looks good, and they need the help too. Their offense was scuffling over the weekend, and Miller's one of the few guys that is going on. I mean, I and keep in mind too, the other reason why you go ahead and take a chance on him is the Cardinals have more games left than anybody else in baseball. You know, they, when they open the series against the Reds this weekend, uh, they had played you know 25 games. The Reds had played 34. So there's. Uh, you know they, they're going to get a lot, there's going to be like one or two off days left for the Cardinals. A lot of double headers. Now maybe he'll sit a, a game or two in there, but you know, you know, you trade for Paul Goldschmidt if you possibly can, just because you know he's going to be in the lineup every day. If, and maybe he sits one game, but he's going to get a lot of work. You want you want these guys to get a little added advantage there, extra at bats, extra innings. Meanwhile, um, former Chihuahuas star. Uh, Alex Dickerson had one of the great performances uh, in, in a career last night when the Giants right. scored 23 runs. Unbelievable. Yeah, unreal. Uh, you know, two, three homers, two doubles. Just, I think he walked at the end and he just, man, he was just on fire the whole, whole game. Um, and I was the idiot that didn't use any Giants in DFS last night. So, uh, needless to say, I lost. But, uh, you know, so it goes. But, you know, it, it's remarkable to see that, you know, the offense is. Remember at the beginning of the season, we were talking how the pitching was ahead of the hitters. That's not the case anymore. Uh, the hitters are fully caught up. It's the same lively ball as last year, if if not more lively almost. It, it's really remarkable. Uh, you can see more and more of that. So it, it, you know, it's. I don't mind. It's just you know, some people are kind of gnashing about that, like oh, you know, too many homers. But it's still hard to, to make contact. So when you make contact, you want to get kind of get the payoff there. So I'm okay with that. More with uh, Jeff Erickson as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, uh, let's go right now to Adrian, bottom of the hour, this Sports Center update. All right, Adrian, thank you very much as uh, we continue here on the program. Again, we've got uh, Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com joining us, your premium source for fantasy sports. Let's talk football right now, especially with some of the news uh, going on. Alvin Kamara, and he's dealing with, uh, among other things, apparently a back issue and and a contract talk and and everything else going on right now. You know, I wonder, there's so many running backs from that 2017 class that are playing hardball to try to get that contract extension. They just saw what Joe Mixing God, now everybody wants it. Yeah, and they should. Alvin Kamara is on the last year of a $3.8 million four-year deal. He's making less than a million dollars a year. Meanwhile, uh, they've, you know, they've spent on everybody else on their team. Uh, and obviously the big one uh, is uh, at, at, you know, not the backup quarterback, but the third-string quarterback, uh, spending, spending money that way on, on, just a, on Taysom Hill. You know, prioritizing him in his contract year ahead of Kamara, I mean, that's got to stick in his craw a little bit. You know, the, the Saints are a little bit in a box of their own making that they said, well, we don't have much room under the cap. Well, guess what? That's your problem, not my problem. You know, and running backs, we all know, have a short shelf life. He, he's within his rights to be upset about this. How surprised were you about Leonard Fournette getting released and now hearing the news that he could uh, link up with Tampa Bay? I'm, I was I was a little surprised about him getting released because they were trying to trade him earlier. They made it pretty readily apparent that he was on the block. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm I'm not super surprised about that. But this time, having to do it now, this late, that's the surprising part. I've seen I've seen the Pats and I've seen the Bucks as two potential locations for him. Uh, certainly, you know, it hurt Ronald Jones if he goes to the Bucks. But the Pats, it's already kind of a, a mismatch of running backs, anyhow. None of those guys are kind of getting drafted that early between Sonny Michelle and Damian Harris. 
Lamar Miller, James White, none of those guys are really going that early. But he's, he's lobbied to play with Cam Newton in the past, so you could see the fit there. Are you surprised that he had no trade value, that when he went on the block, nobody wanted him? Well, I've heard things. You know, the Whisperer campaign is that he's a hard guy to get along with, right? Uh, and that you, know, you saw him get kicked out of the Buffalo game, got ejected from that. Uh, maybe, you know, the, and there was, there's a whisper campaign now saying that the players were lobbying, tired of his stuff, lobbying for him to get cut. I don't know. That seems a little like a character, a character assassination on the way out, but uh, none of that was on the record, and you, know, you, know, you never really want to give too much credence to that. But, yeah, I mean, it just shows how the NFL a lot, uh, values running backs, although the Jets being willing to give up a set, conditional seventh round for Kalen Balazs and not for Leonard Fournette speaks volumes about somebody. I'm not sure who. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hey, meanwhile, what about the story, uh, the Patriots uh, releasing Mohamed Sanu and where we could possibly see him go, especially since he only goes plays nine games with New England, who gives up a second-round pick for him and now uh, decides that, uh, you know what, he's not somebody that was, was going to be high enough on their depth chart despite uh, getting ready to earn $6.5 million this season. Right. I, I, I got to say, I'm pretty surprised about that. Uh, although the cost is sunk, you know, they've already spent that draft pick on them. So yeah, you can't really, uh, you know, you can't really say, wow, they spent that draft pick on them. I mean, it's gone, you know, it's not going to get it back by keeping them around. So I, I get it from that standpoint. If he wasn't going to make the team, might as well release him, give him time to land somewhere else. But he was never fully a hundred percent. I wonder if that ankle's never going to be the same. Smart move for Anthony Lynn to keep Terod Taylor, the starting quarterback, and not rookie Justin Herbert? I think that's what everybody expected. I think this is one of those, you know, dog bite, dog bites man sort of stories that, you know, I think all along that Taylor was going to be the starter. And, you know, he'll either play, you know, he played his way out of a job in Buffalo, and he'll either do that or it'll be decent enough. The, the, the interesting part there was the, the, the talk that maybe Justin Herbert's having a hard time picking up the offense. You know, that that's a little disappointing, especially because you hear good stuff from Joe Burrow, but it's also not surprising when you think about it because they didn't have many camps. They didn't have OTAs. They didn't have all the rookie camps. You know, that's that's a big deal. You're losing all that rep time, you know, for a guy that was probably considered a little bit of a project anyhow. You know, he, he was, you know, he was drafted. Jeff, you still there? We might have lost Jeff Erickson at the end of that segment. So, unless I'm gone. Guys, are we still on the air? All right, perfect. Sometimes when I lose a call, I never know. Is it me or is it them? All right, well, folks, i got to tell you, unfortunately, that's going to kind of put this one to, uh, to rest. Rotowire.com, your premium source for fantasy sports. Check out their, uh, all their uh, great stuff that they've got right now, and there's a ton of football, whether it's uh, news, injuries. They've got uh, the draft kit, which you could try out for free for 10 days, everything but their draft software, the rankings, cheat sheets, and, of course, all the great news articles for all sports at Rotowire.com. John Teicher's next. We'll come back and talk to the voice of the Miners as Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso.